This year, Parashat Nassot is about the, the woman who's called the Sota. The woman who's called the Sota, this is not, may not be a pleasant topic necessarily, but it's something that the Torah deals with. Now, generally speaking, and I had to explain to somebody uh, what the Risha Sota was. I don't mean that it was difficult. Uh, the question always was, what is the status of this woman? I mean, after all, she didn't do anything, right? She happened to be in a room with another man. Uh, there were no witnesses to whatever happened in that room. For some reason, unstated, the husband is suspicious of his wife. That's the case. That's the case. Now we know, we know that Bate Din, anybody who follows uh, uh, any kind of legal uh, matters that take place, for example, in Israel or in America or in England, they realize that it's very difficult for the judges to determine a fact. It's very hard. You have to, you have to compromise your seichel in order to be able to say that a fact took place. So that in the Torah, the Torah says that the way you establish one way that you establish a fact is if there are shnaim eitim, if there are two witnesses. Now it doesn't really make any sense because. Why shouldn't it be true that two witnesses could be in collusion? Just like one witness could lie, two witnesses could lie, or any number of witnesses might be in collusion. Right? Uh, in Israel, they have uh, this, uh, this idea of an Eid Medina, which doesn't exactly exist in Mahalacha. Eid Medina means you bribe somebody to say something, right? That's, that's called an Eid Medina. The way you bribe him or her is by saying you, you won't uh, ask for the maximum sentence, for example. You'll, you'll go easy on him if he trades information. Now, who says that that information is uh, a, a true? There's a sticky, a sticky point here. So the baked in the Beit Din, going back to the Halakha, the Beit Din is always compromised when it has to make a decision. Now what happened in fact? How did the Batei Din deal with the problem of truth? Well, they more or less accepted the fact that they could never know, that they would never know. And so they developed the notion of uh, the passage of the Torah talks about drishot and chakirot, which means that you examine and cross-examine the witnesses. Now, if there are two witnesses and they disagree with each other, so of course they don't count. And if they agree with each other, so they might be in collusion. So you have this problem. And this problem. So what did the chachamim do? They said. You have to ask them seemingly irrelevant questions, like what color shirt did he wear? How tall did he seem to be? Yeah, yes, witnesses, these kinds of irrelevant questions. And if there is a contradiction about these irrelevant questions in the answering the irrelevant question, then those witnesses are also not accepted. They're not accepted as witnesses. So it seems to me, to me, that the Chachamim understood that even though the Torah says, the Torah itself says, which means that two witnesses, they establish a fact. There's a fact in the, in the, in the court, uh, in the Jewish court. And when you learn the Gemara, it sounds like that's what happens. There are two witnesses. The two witnesses come and they say, Ruven Kitsubah, you believe them. But you know that Rabbi Akiva said that 
Beit Din that killed anybody once in 40 years is called a murdering Beit Din. In other words, Rabbi Akiva said, Akiva said was, even though the Torah says, we're not going to accept. We're not going to accept that. So what happened with the Isha? What happened with the Isha Sota? Well, there are no witnesses. There are no witnesses. There's no case. There's no no question as to as to anything. So why why does the Torah take the time to deal with the question of the isha of the isha sota, which is not really a question at all? And so the answer, of course, is that in the case of an isha sota, the case is transferred to a meta halachic body, the Kohanim. They're not halachic, they are magical, mystical, and they have a mystical way of solving the problem. Remember, this woman, this woman, at best, she is in the category of safek, of doubt. There are two kinds of safek that we talk about in the halacha. We talk about a safek that could be clarified and a safek that cannot be clarified. Right, so she's in the category of a safek that cannot be clarified because there were no witnesses. There were no witnesses to what went on. And therefore, automatically, the Beit Din, the Beit Din is excluded from judgment. They, they have no basis on which to determine anything at all. So the Torah says, the Torah says, let's transfer. Let's transfer from the Beit Din to the Kohen, to the Beit HaMikdash, to the Beit HaMikdash. And there, the, the decision will be rendered miraculously. The decision will be rendered miraculously, which is perfect. It's better than Shnayim Meidim, right? It's better than Shnayim Meidim. Shnayim Meidim is always the possibility that they would lie, or they'd be in collusion, which is a very popular word in these, this day and age. So the, the uh, Kohen, the Kohen doesn't do it, doesn't make his decision based on knowledge, but he makes his decision on a miracle. He makes this concoction, she drinks it, Either she lives or she dies. Right? If she dies, we assume that Mina Shamayim, right, heaven has rendered the decision that the Beitin cannot render, that the Beitin was not able, not able to render. So now, except for the details, we have the story. That's the story of the Shasuta. The Shasuta is not only interesting because of its uh, social aspects. Or whether it's modern or not so modern, right? That still could be interesting. But the story of the Isha Sota is interesting because, because the Torah says that there is a metahalachic way of making a determination that the Beidin can't do it. The system of law enforcement cannot deal with this problem. Now everybody knows that this happens all the time. The Praklitut, the Praklitut brings a case against somebody. Right, whatever you call the Praklitut in English. The, the prosecution. The what? Prosecution. 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 The prosecutor. Yeah, the general, the prosecutor. You know, the, the general prosecutor brings a case against Druvain. Now he's sure that he's that that is true. He's not going to bring the case against Reuven if he didn't think Reuven was guilty. But Reuven is not always found guilty by the court because the court sometimes applies rules of technicality, presentation, uh, uh, who said what and when they said, all kinds of other rules that might render the prosecution um, inept. And so a lot of people, it seems, like people who are obviously guilty, get off either with very uh, minor sentences or get off, get off entirely. So here you have in the Torah an interesting case 
the cases and forget about uh, for a moment if you can we'll forget about the fact that it's a woman and a woman is a suspect that is her husband normal or not normal right there are all these kinds of questions that you might ask but legally legally you have a problem of a suffix and the word suffix means that the Beitin cannot resolve the question it does not have the wherewithal to make that decision and yet the Torah says you the decision will be rendered that's what the that's what the Torah says and the render the agent for rendering this decision is the Kohen and the way the decision is rendered is that you the Kohen makes this concoction that she drinks and she either lives or dies right if she lives so she is so it's clarified there's no longer a suffix right even though the, again you have to understand that the halakha was unable to make this determination the law was unable to make this determination and so the question might arise why is this the case i mean why is it that in this case we have this odd method of making determination whereas in other other suffix we don't i mean what what happened exactly okay so i just want to make sure we understand a few things if you look at the psukim this <clears throat> introduction. Then the pasuk says, So the word tiste sounds like it means to deviate. Someone who deviates, tiste ishto. It's sort of accusatory against the woman. Now, what is she being exactly? And then it says, She does something to her husband. She, she does something against her husband. So the way it starts off, it's her fault. Because even if she didn't have sexual relations with another man in a room, what was she doing there? Why did she create this mess that that uh, that the Kohen has to get her out of somehow? So you look at the Rashi. Rashi says, uh, You see the Rashi at the beginning. Shanu Rabotenu, Eina Minafim Noafim. And this is like an interesting comment that's in the Gemara. Eina minafim, minafim, people who are, uh, of men who are sexually active, uh, you know, all kinds of sexual activity. He says, Ruach Stutban is negative, it's female. Right? But, you know, there's a Ruach Stut. What is, what is, a, what is, what is a Ruach Stut? A Ruach Stut means uh, why would you do something against the Torah? Why would you do something? We're talking about people who are, who are mitzvah doers. We're not talking about people who are not in the, in the Torah. We're talking about people who are in the Torah. And the people who are in the Torah. They uh, they do things when they do things like that. The Chacham said, Now this is a little hard to understand, but in other words, if they were not, if they were all right, if they were all right, if they were all right, these men, these women, they wouldn't do the avera. I mean, to do in a very general, but but specifically, the 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 there is a. Uh, there is this matter of uh, Rachstut. Are they also talking about men? Excuse me? Are they also speaking about men here? I, I guess. It's, uh, you know, Menafim sounds like men, and Bahen sounds like women. <laughs> but I think it's talking about men. Pshuto Mikra. See the next two lines. Next line. Kitiste. Tat midarchei tzniyut. 
She was a, they say, they say in English, a loose woman. Is that like, can you say that? Mm -hmm. Like, she like gave the impression that she did things that were wrong. <clears throat> Even though we had no specific information about that. But that shan't be enough. And so he, he's suspicious of her. There's a posuk. I get another posuk. Skipping a line. What did he do wrong? What does he think she did wrong? That she had relations with another man. That she had relations with another man. So that's what, that's what, the, that's what the posuk says. If we go on in the posuk, she had relations with another man. But her husband didn't see it, has no evidence to corroborate that. And she was hidden away. She was hidden away with another man. So it sounds like from the puzzle, sounds like the puzzle is not that she did it. It's just that we don't know that she did it. The husband doesn't know that, we, that, that she did it. And and Hilo Nitpasa. Vavara and he has this kind of unpleasant feeling. The Ruach Kina. He uh, he hates the fact that she, that this is the situation. Vikine et ishto. So she was certainly closeted with this man. There's no there are witnesses who could say that she was in this room by herself with this man. But there are no witnesses who could say what happened in the room. Right? So that's what the Pasuk says. Either she did it or she didn't do it. Then Pasuk did Vav. He brings this, the woman to the Kohen, and he brings a, a korban. There's certain rules. So there's something called Mincha is a meal offering. Uh, right, you know, you, you put it in some kind of a frying pan and you cook it up and that's the, that's the korban. It's not a very classy korban. It's a minchat kinaot. It's the mincha that has to do with the, with the kinah, with the hatred of the husband for his, for his wife. Pasuk tetzayim. Ekrivo tako heim Okay. Okay. This is this is the source, the biblical source for the fact that married women uh, cover their hair, Upar, because it says in the pasuk, it says in the pasuk para edrosha isha, that the way this process goes is that it starts with para edrosha isha, which obviously sounds like every woman would be in that situation. Any woman who comes to the kohen for this test in order to satisfy the husband would certainly have a hair covered in such a way. It's not clear whether parat, rosha, isha, it means that something covered, like a hat, covered her hair. I don't know if they had wigs in those days. But it could be that it just meant that uh, like if you braid your hair and you put it up in some kind of a net, that that's, that's how the, what they did. That was, uh, that was the position of the youth. The Gemara also mentions 
that kind of uh, hair covering. But it, it's like everything else has evolved into whatever it's evolved into. So that's also part of the part of the evolution. <coughs> so, uh, so we have paradrajeisha, but al kapea et et minchat azikaron minchat kinaoti who ubiyad akoheni mechaman yam hamorim mehamarim hamorim. So it's called mehamarim hamorim. This concoction that the Kohen makes, mar, is bitter. May amarim hamorim hamorim is the word cursed, right? Bitter and cursed sounds bad because it has the potential of of doing in the person that the woman will die. And since we already suspect her anyway, uh, according to the way the Torah presents the case, so we figure something terrible will happen. So the Torah says it. He says, if you're innocent, these waters that you drink will prove will prove your innocence. But if you deviated from the halacha while married, and, and you actually had, uh, you slept with another man who was not your husband, right? So then, then there's a shua, an oath, then the continuation is is a description of what happens. Well, as before we get to that, I want to look at the, the commentary of the Ramban. Because the Ramban asks the very uh, incisive question. So if you look at the Ramban, look at the Ramban, and you look at the third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, the eighth line in the Ramban, which begins with the word the Hine, the second word on the line, second word on the eighth line, which on my sheet is highlighted, which proves that it's important. You ready? The Rabban says, Nowhere in the law, in the halacha, now the Rabban knew the halacha. He knew everything in the Torah. And he says there's no place in the Torah. The only place where the Torah asks us to depend on a miracle, he means on a miracle to make a determination, to change a safek into a vadai. The only place in the Torah where the Torah takes this stand. Here's there's a suffix. Take a miracle. Take a miracle and resolve and resolve the the suffix. Shehu Pele. It's a wonder. Veneis Kavua. Sheyasebi Israel. Biyotam Rubam Osim Ritzonoshel Makom. And he says, it goes on to say, we all know that this miracle which is promised to B'nai Israel will only work if most of the Jewish people accept the authority of the halacha, right? And they do as HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants them to do. God wants in order that there should be righteousness in the world to afflict women 
שלא תעשינה כזימת יתר העמים. So he says, he says this kind of activity is very common in the world. Well, you remember when we read the Torah about Lachremot and Kedoshim, Kemaza, Eretz Kenan, the Torah says, don't act like the Canaanites, don't act like the Egyptians. We're talking about talking about a, a looseness in sexual uh, relations. That's what we're talking about. So the Torah wants, wants a high standard. So if people are, let's imagine a world where the people all keep the Torah, but, 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 but a woman figures out, a woman figures out that she could sneak away and have and act like one of the other people in the world, not like the Torah wants to act, and get away with it. Because as long as there are no witnesses, there's no way to find her guilty. And the Ramban talks about the woman. And it's the woman, and not the, not the man. So he says, that we want to prevent women from acting in the way women act in the rest of the world, and to purify the Jewish people from the scourge of Mamzeirut, because after all, this woman is a married woman. So if she becomes pregnant, then the child will be, will be a Mamzeir. Here's the Ramban. He says, this is important because the people of Israel who keep the halacha have to understand <coughs> that they have to be worthy of, uh, of the Shekhinah dwelling in their midst, right? In the Beit HaMikdash or in the Mishkan, the Shekhinah will dwell in their midst and therefore you have to attempt a certain level of purity. Now, if, even if a small number of women act in this way, that level of purity is rejected and therefore, therefore, according to the Ramban, what is it that the Torah wanted to make sure about? The Torah wanted to make sure that the guilty person will not escape punishment. Right, of course, along doing that, you'd have to say that the innocent woman will be proven to be innocent, but really, According to the Ramban, this whole setup is in order to catch the guilty woman, because the guilty woman creates a plague on, uh, on the sanctity of Am Yisrael and provides an opening for Mamzerut, for creation of Mamzerim in Eretz Israel, which is certainly not something that uh, we should want to do. And, uh, and so you see the attitude, the attitude of Am Yisrael, according to the, the Ramban. And the Fikach, Pasaka inyana she'it And therefore, according to Gemara, the Ramban says, Pasaka inyana Pasaka inyana means, Pasaka inyana this whole business came to an end. What business? The business about drinking these waters and the guilty woman dies and the innocent woman lives, that, that went out of business. When did it go out of business? Once the balance changed, earlier we were a people who kept the Torah and kept the Halakha. When we became a people, I mean, you could judge from the stories about the various kings in Yisrael and in Yehuda, right? In the beginning, it seemed all right, but quickly, a lot of the kings turned into miserable, miserable people and even promoted uh, Averot in Am Yisrael. So the, the, the situation changed. We went from a people who was concerned about the Torah to a people who was less concerned and not so concerned. And so he said, and this is, he quotes the Gemara, this is a wonderful, a wonderful line in the Gemara. 
when 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 sexual adventures uh, became the norm, and there were a lot of people like that, Pasku Mesota, the Mesota stopped working. Why did it stop working? Because the whole idea of Mesota was to help us achieve some level of purity that we couldn't achieve without the Mesota. But Misha Rabu, Rabu Amin when the situation became uh, difficult, uh, the situation for Am Israel became uh, difficult, Pasku Mesota, so in heaven, heaven, the, the announcement was, it, it just doesn't work anymore. It's not gonna work, there's no point. There's no point in finding out about a particular woman when everybody is doing, when everybody's doing the wrong thing. But so it that's, sounds like it didn't work. It sounds, sounds like, like it, it sounds like it didn't work, that it wasn't a detriment if it no, became no. so widespread. It was supposed to like help be a sign, right? right. No, but to that's only one particular variable. But what if they all Bachalale Shabbat? Why not? So if they Bachalale Shabbat, there's no issue of, of spiritual revival or spiritual uh, uh, being special. So Bashamayim, Bashamayim, when, when, when the people were not acting in accordance with what the Torah wants, they also, Bashamayim, they didn't think that they, we had had that assist in purifying the camp. I mean, that's the, that's the point that the Ramban makes. Means I won't, I won't take notice of your daughters who, who become prostitutes. In, in, in other words, it's a change. In the Torah, Mesota meant even a minor deviation. Uh, the Torah was willing to help us clarify. But later on, at the time of Hosea, the second part of the post, young women, uh, who also participate in sexual activity. They will be kind of your uh, They will be uh, together with the prostitutes. There's another name for prostitutes, is Avechu. They will kind of come together with the prostitutes to, uh, to give a sacrifice. Whatever that means. Somebody who doesn't understand this will be confused about what. So the Navi says in Feirush, the Navi says in Feirush that this divine support, uh, this kind of from heaven looking down on us and trying to help us purify the camp, that comes to an end. When does it come to an end? When there's no point. There's no point in it. So again, the, the, the Ramban, it's the only mitzvah, the only mitzvah is connected to the Beit HaMikdash, which the Ramban says is facultative. It's not dependent on whether the Beit HaMikdash is around. That's certainly a core, but even before the Chorban Beit HaMikdash, even when the Beit HaMikdash was around, and the Kohanim were around, but the state of Am Yisrael was uh, uh, less uh, optimistic, it stopped working. It, the the uh, base of that stopped working. I do know it stopped working because all the women were innocent. And the base of that just didn't, didn't seem to do anything. So they, by school, they stopped using the option of Mesota, and the Safek returned to Am Yisrael. So he says, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, the people who opted for a lower level of Kedushah, of sanctity, they had to live with the Safek, right? So there was no, uh, uh, you know, you could say it this way, that, uh, that the Mesota, if the woman is innocent, it produces a certain level of shalom bayit, right? Certain level. I mean, suspicion is always bad, and shalom bayit is always good. It's good to have shalom bayit. Uh, but the divine intervention which enabled Shalom Bayat 
came to an end. It came to an end because people didn't deserve that kind of clarity. They didn't deserve that kind of, that kind of peace. That's the, uh, so he says, he goes on and he says, Again, he emphasized that this miracle that took place in the Beit HaMikdash was in order to make them, to make them an Am Kadosh. Uh, uh, and the second word on the line is and so the Rabban says look what happened they didn't want it they weren't interested in this tova, but they kept acting in an indiscreet manner. And therefore, it's the, it stopped working. Right? This is the end of the puzzle in Hosea. He gets stuck in his stupidity. Another puzzle which uses the word was you can't figure it out. And then the Targum. We skip a line. Vizeta Mashamru. I'm now three, four, five, six, seven lines at the bottom of the Rabban. After the two dots, the third word, Vizeta Mashamru. This is what the Gemara means. When the Ishmi Avon, the man is has no no sin. Bizmansha Ishminu Kemba Avon. He says, when the, when the man deserves it, or when the meeting people, when the people in Am Yisrael deserve it, then it works for the, it works for the, for the woman as well. So the f- main thing that the Rabban wants us to understand is how is it, why was it that the Torah legislates this metahalachic miracle? And his answer is, to maintain a standard, to maintain a standard which enables the Rebona Shalom the Shekhinah to dwell in the midst of B'nai Yisrael, and clarifying this subtake was important to, to achieve that goal. However, when the people were not so interested, or were less interested in, in purity and the purity of the camp, then, uh, then the Mesodah came to an end. If you turn the page, if you turn the page, there's a quote from the Tanya. You know the Tanya? Those of you who are not the Chabadnikin, but you may have gone to college once. And if you went to college, you probably met some Chabadnik who was willing to sell you a little Tanya. I mean, they, they don't always sell you. They say they're selling the Tanya, but it doesn't always work that way. But they, you know, they do good things, I guess. Anyway, the Tanya is a book. The Tanya is a book in which the Bala Tanya, Rabbi Shneer Zalman, the first Rabbi of Chabad, tried to lay out a proposal. Like, what are we supposed to be doing with ourselves? What are we supposed to do with ourselves in this world? This world, you know, which is something that usually people start thinking about when they are 80. Before that, they think about other things. When they become 80, then they start thinking, like, what was I supposed to be doing with myself? So the, the Balatanya, Balatanya says, <coughs> like if I had to summarize it, I had to summarize what the Balatanya says, in two or three sentences, which really is not such a good idea, uh, because the Balatanya is a very uh, dense work. Like you have to, every sentence or two has to be understood. Uh, I'm not sending anybody. I'm not promoting. I am not promoting it. Here they say. 
And say, so you want a copy? You want a copy of the Tanya? Like you have this fancy edition, an English translation, which is very good. The English translation is pretty good. So what you do is you go to your local Chabadnik and you tell him you're thinking of intermarrying. <laughs> and the only thing that would bring you back is a copy of the Tanya. Immediately, you get one. So, I mean, it's used to work. I, don't, I imagine it still, still works. So, the Tanya says, the Tanya says this, that the, the objective of our existence is to wipe out the Yetzirah. Now, the Yetzirah has different names. It's called the Yetzirah, the Sitra Akra, the, the, the other side, right? There, there are different names, but it all means the same thing. Now, what does that mean? Usually, we think that the we call the Yetzirah what gets us to do the wrong thing. Like Yetzirah exists for people who want to do the right thing. If you don't want to do the right thing, I mean, there's no Yetzirah as far as I can. But if you want to do the right thing, but you don't, like you want to diet, but you don't. So what is it, what, what, why is there a par between what you want and what you do? And that par is caused by, I mean that, gap, gap. right, that gap is caused by the Yetzirah. That's what we usually say, I think. I think you may have other examples. But that's usually called Yetzirah. The Yetzirah is the name that I give to the part between what I want to do and what I actually do do. It's like, it's like doing an Avera. I don't want to do the Avera, but I did it. I think the easiest Avera example in the world, Lashon Hara, right? Lashon, that's, that's like, I don't want to talk about Lashon Hara. I mean, even if I didn't read the Chafetz Chaim's book on Lashon Hara, where he slits an endless number of mitzvot say and mitzvot say that are connected to Lashon HaRa, which should frighten any reasonable, any reasonable person. But I live in a world where not talking Lashon HaRa, you have to live in a plastic bag and be someplace else. It's just not, it's not possible. The whole world lives on Lashon HaRa. Right? They call that newspapers and television stations and radio report. That's all there is. I mean, imagine, imagine this guy gets up early in the morning and every single day he has to talk about something for two hours. <clears throat> I mean, how do you do that? Unless you kind of dig in to real Ashantara. So there is this gap which we usually call we usually call the Shodhara So now, <coughs> the Rabbah says, the Rabbah says in the beginning of the third paragraph of Chok Chuba, he says, a person who has more righteous things, who's done more good things than bad things, is called a tzaddik. And a person who's done more bad things than good things is called a rasha. I know what the Rabbah means. Let's say, take the good guy, who's done more good things than bad things. But he means, I guess, that you have to do tshuva on the bad things that you did. But if you do tshuva on the bad things that you did, and you have a lot of good things in your bank account, then you call the tzaddik. The, the Balatanya says that the Novi invented this concept of tzaddik viralo. Like, the Novi Yirmiyahu, Another year we all ask that question. Why are there righteous people who suffer? Why are there wicked people who seem to be doing okay? Right? Even excluding Eov, the whole discussion of Eov. But another year we all, I mean, he asked that question. How come, how come righteous, seemingly righteous people are suffering in the world? Right? Sadik, Virano. And that idea is picked up in the Gemara as well. So, the Balatanya says, you could be a tzaddik, Virala. What does a tzaddik mean? You do all the mitzvahs that you're supposed to do. You avoid all of the averas that you're not supposed to do. But Rallo means he has Ra. That same person who's only doing mitzvahs, only doing mitzvahs, 
at avoiding transgression. That same person, he can be Ramo, meaning that inside of him someplace, in his DNA or in his genetic makeup of some kind or other, there is Ra. There's Ra, but it's lying there. It's like one of those, uh, you know, viruses, you know, if you take uh, antibiotics every day because you can never get rid of it. You can never get rid of it, the Ra. It's like there. It's not a function. It's not a function of doing mitzvot and avoiding Aveirah, as it would seem from the Rabbah. But it has its own life. It exists within you, and therefore, you have to work to get rid of it. So tzaddik, the is that the tzaddik, the person who lives his life according to the, to the Torah, and who avoids transgressions as they are enumerated in the Torah, still has something to do. He has something to do. He can't just lean back on his righteousness. Because Ralo, Ralo means that Yetzirah is inside of him somewhere. And he's got to get it out. He's got to turn the Ra into Tov. That's what he's got to do. So let's see if we can make sense out of this passage in the time. This, this is uh, from the standard English translation, which, as I said, is usually very good. This explains the commentary of our sages of blessed memory on the verse of any man's wife turn aside that no person commits any transgression unless a spirit of folly has entered into him. You remember we saw that in the Rashi? Like Rashi quotes like Gemara. <coughs> Right? Mm-hmm. And that's the, the spirit of folly. It's a little bit, uh, the language is a little like uh, from England or something. Unless a spirit of folly, who knows what that is? For even an ad- adulterous woman with her frivolous nature could have controlled her passionate drive were it not for the spirit of folly in her which covers, obscures, and conceals the hidden love of her divine soul yearning to cleave to her faith in God, in his unity and oneness. So I'm not going to try to explain what he says about the woman, what unity or oneness, what those words are. That's, you know, if you want to become a, a Sufi priest or something, you could try that. But, but what he says is, what he says is, it's not like that. It's not like you do mitzvot and you do averot. Right? It's not like that. Even if you do averot, even if you do the averot, so you're a rasha, vitovlo. Just like I explained before what Tzadik Virado is, there's a Russia of the Who's the Russia? In, the, in this case, the woman. The woman who is having an adulterous relationship. That woman, that woman is dying to do the right thing, according to, according to the Balatanya. It was inside of you. Even if you do terrible things, but inside of you there is Tov. Because that's how you are created. And so the tov in you, the tov in you is what uh, wants to bring you to this special relationship with HaKadosh Baruch that he calls uh, unity and oneness. Uh, and not to be parted, God forbid, even at the cost of our life, from his unity by idolatrous worship, God forbid be it only by an outward acknowledgement without any belief at all in our heart. Right, that, that's called idolatry, right? The Yisra of idolatry doesn't ask to only with doing it. It doesn't have to do with what you really believe, according to him. In other words, a real Jew can't be idolatrous because the real Jew, I mean, a Jew, is tied to a Kaddish and therefore, all you could do is fake it. You no know, idolatry. Like you could, you could, uh, at this pressure, if 
from the community, you might convert, right, in history. That happened very often. But, <coughs> well, obviously it's not real. I mean, a person could say he's a Christian, but he's not a Christian if he, if he believes in whatever Jews are supposed to believe in. So that's what he says. It'd be only by outward acknowledgement without any belief at all in her heart. Surely she could subdue the temptation and lust of adultery, which is lighter suffering than death. May God protect her idolatry. In other words, you think, you think if she could uh, avoid being idolatrous, she could certainly avoid, you know, sexual impropriety. Uh, but the distinction she makes between the interdict against adultery and that against bowing to an idol is also but a spirit of folly stemming from the klipa which develops. Okay, spirit of folly. The spirit of folly is is that she says, okay, this I can do, but this I'm not going to do. And I'm not going to be idolatrous when I have dinner. could have a, a, a sexual indiscretion. The point that the Bala Tanya makes is that, that who is the, the, the naked person? Who is the naked Jew? The person who has neither good things nor bad things. He is the person, he or she is the person who has the capacity to come close to God. And therefore the Isha Sota, Isha Sota is an example, becomes an example of, of that proof that you're able to overcome that I mean, she was in the room, she was there, she was close, but eventually the miracle of heaven says she, over, she overcame. She became what, who she really is. So it's not so much as the Rambam says that you do good things and bad things and somehow you have to measure, weigh one against the other, but it is that you have to discover your true self. It's like modern, modern lingo, if, which is okay, I like it. If you could discover who you really are, you would find out that who you really are is someone who wants to do what God said to do. That, I, that, that's perfectly reasonable. It's perfectly reasonable that somebody should want to do what God wants him to do. What doesn't seem to always be reasonable is that I know what God wants me to do. I get out my... But, but if a person believes that God wants me to act in a certain way, it's certainly reasonable to act in that way. So the Bhagavatam says you have to discover the real in you and the, the, the imaginary in you enables you to transgress even though it's totally irrelevant to your personality. And so the Isha Sota, the Isha Sota who is innocent, who is deserved to, so what can we say about her? Well, there was an indiscretion. She allowed that part of her, the Tzadik Viramo, to determine her behavior. But in fact, she's not like that. She's not, she was able to overcome at the end and to be as, uh, as she should be. So the issue Sota, I think, is a, is a productive subject of analysis. Have a good chance.